Hello and welcome to Scotland Matters, the Scottish Land and Estates podcast. I'm Stephen Young. I'm hosting the podcast today. Um, It's Highland Show Week. Um, I don't mind admitting that I am like a child on Christmas Eve, very excited about the show and looking forward to it. So again, our theme for the podcast this week is agriculture. And I've got three fantastic guests to talk about the roles and challenges of women in agriculture. I'll do a very brief introduction to each of our guests and then let them tell you about themselves and their role within women in agriculture, and then we'll get into some questions. So our first guest is Sarah-Jane Lang, who doesn't need much of an introduction. Sarah-Jane's lived in rural Scotland in the borders her whole life, joined Scottish Land and Estates 18 years ago and has held various roles um, until being made chief executive two and a half years ago. Sarah-Jane's been involved in a wide range of things within agriculture right across Scotland. So Sarah-Jane, I'll let you tell us about yourself. Thanks very much Stephen and I always kind of feel that I need to um, I suppose stress my my proper farming credentials my my welly credentials as someone referred to them uh, recently. Um, My earliest memories are are on a farm Um, my my grandparents and and, uh, my my mum you know they they were farm workers so I grew up at an early age um, spending lots and lots of time up in the Bowen Valley with them went away to school went away to university and then did that thing that lots of people do, which is uh, marry a rugby playing farmer down in the borders. So farming is, is part of our family life. My kids are fifth generation to, to live on our family farm. I'll be honest, I'm, I don't put my wellies on that often. I don't get my hands dirty that often. Now at home, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law uh, run the farm, but it's all always all hands on deck at certain times of the year, especially during lambing. As, as you said, Stephen, I've, you know, I've been involved in, in a number of groups. Uh, I know we'll talk a little bit more about the Women in Agricultural Task Force. But I think, you know, my, my whole working life, really since I left the council 18 years ago, has been about making sure that people, women, young people, anyone has access and support in the farming and agricultural sector. And I think that's something that I'm looking forward to exploring uh, with other guests today. Thank you for that. Moving on, we have Leslie Mitchell. Leslie farms with her family in the Scottish Borders and was a recent monitor farmer. Uh, Leslie sits on our South East Committee and has previously worked in the Scottish Government Rural Payments and Services Department and now works for Quality Meat Scotland as a quality assurance specialist. Leslie, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah. <clears throat> Thank you, Stephen. Yeah. Uh, as I say, Leslie Mitchell, I farm in partnership with my husband and son at Whitrick's Farm near Hoyt in the Scottish Borders. With 140 native breed suckler cows, 330 red deer hinds, and grow 50 hectares of combinable crops, which are predominantly winter oats for milling. We've recently converted to organic, and we carry out all operations in-house, with the exception of hedge cutting and lime spreading. I'm involved in all aspects of the farm business, including tractor work, um, tractor and stock work, and record keeping. Although not from a farming background, my grandparents were, and I grew up in a rural setting. I came to the farm 30 years ago when I met my husband and became involved actively at an early stage. I enjoy working with the livestock and soon mastered the tractor work, and I've always been passionate about being the best that we can be and interested to learn from others how we can improve the business and also to free up time to spend quality time with my husband and family. Thanks, Les. It's really interesting talking about that, the kind of farm practical work, but also that business element as well, which often gets forgotten, and, and that requirement for different skills within a business. So it's really interesting to hear that as part of your introduction. Last but not least, our, our final guest is Nick McLeod, who works for Scottish Land and Estates as a regional support officer for Clydeside. Nick was brought up on a farm in Renfrewshire and has worked in construction, landscaping, various other industries before moving to Canada, where she managed a vet practice before returning to Ayrshire, to the um, rural Ayrshire, apologies, and working for SLE. So, Nick, can you just tell us about yourself? Yes, thank you so much. Yes, I grew up on an organic beef and dairy farm. It is fourth generation right now with the fifth generation ready at the helm. They're maybe just a wee bit wee just now. (laughs) It's been a great experience, I think, growing up in such a rural setting within agriculture to really learn about the work ethic that it takes to take care of animals. Not only that you've got to kind of put them ahead of yourself, but it really translates to business and translates to so many things where you're using the same skills, that same mindset. And that's been a great advantage for me, I think, um, going forward into multiple industries as I've carried that work ethic, that 
kind of knowledge and that headspace and that's really been beneficial so I'm super grateful for that and the farm is currently run by my cousin and my uncle um, and they're doing a fantastic job there and just give a wee shout out so I don't get in trouble I think that across all the industries I've worked in they have all had a, a, a rural aspect which has been great Um, it's a community that needs to be valued and needs to be looked after and I've been really appreciative to work in such industries as veterinary medicine as well where we're really seeing things being brought to the forefront and priorities made for women and men there and mental health and make, moving forward to encourage openness in that space so I've been I've been really really grateful to have the opportunities to work within these spaces and I'm looking forward to building myself a small hobby farm in the very near future. Thanks, Nick. Now, you and I have a, a shared passion for Ayrshire cattle as well. Are you planning we on having Ayrshire do. cows on your hobby farm? <laughs> I don't know that I have the time for dairy right now, but I, I definitely think that I would like some in the future, but I think I'm, I'm leaning more towards a pedigree beef herd and some goats right now. I, I think I could send you some calves that would, uh, that would scratch that itch for you and that would uh, play those roles. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you for that, everyone. Now, moving into the, the questions, women in agriculture has been a topic which has, has arisen over the past number of years, quite rightly, as industry accepts that it needs to be more inclusive and there was a lot of work to be done there. Esther, you were involved in the Women in Agriculture Task Force. Now, that did a lot of good work in kind of developing that thinking. Can you tell us about what, what was behind that and, and where it came from? Yeah, absolutely. I mean... You know, a number of years ago, there was a kind of loose network of women in agriculture. Um, I think way back, actually, I was involved in a UK-wide women in farming group, which was set up by Christine uh, Tacon uh, and involved Net Batters before she came to NFUS. So I'd been involved in, in, in groups that were trying to kind of support future female leaders in the industry. But in 2016, the Scottish government decided to... to do something a bit more formal. So they commissioned research looking at women in farming in the agriculture sector. And that report came out in 2017, where a number of sort of key findings, but definitely showed that, that there were barriers to uh, women um, entering the industry, progressing in the industry, and in, indeed in, in the, um, the, the farming organisations. It also identified um, a number of specific issues such as childcare, access to training so on the back of that research the first minister visited the, the highland show and she announced the establishment of um, a women agricultural task force and i was you know really honored to be asked to, to sit on that it was jointly chaired by fergus ewing the cabinet secretary and joyce campbell who will be known to everyone i think involved in, in scottish farming and the group was really diverse it wasn't just women it was women and men involved in the sector and it brought together a range of interests from academia, from farming organisations, also involved uh, people with um, involvement in training and finance. So, a, a, you know, a, a disparate group. But the one thing that brought us together was, you know, a passion for, you know, a vibrant farming sector. So we met over a, a couple of years and we were tasked with coming up with key recommendations to identify the, um, or, or to, to find a way to deal with those issues that were um, identified in that research. And primarily those were about training and skills development, how we make those more accessible for women. The whole issue of succession planning, um, not about, I have to say, not about legislation. I think it was wrongly assumed there was a problem with the law, but um, you know it was quite clear that it was a cultural issue in terms of succession planning both in family farms and in, in organisations, looking at how we can uh, work with agricultural businesses and organisations to support future leaders, help them make the most of their team and address issues um, of, of child care. So we looked at those big issues over a few years and, and published a final report in, in autumn 2019. Now, we didn't solve all the problems, I'll be honest, but what I think we came up with were some firm recommendations as to how we could address some of those key barriers that the research had had identified. And one of the, the, the you know the first ones actually that we were able to, to start on was was training. And I think the development of the training, the training programs on the back of the task force is possibly 
one of the things that I'm, you know, most proud of in, in terms of my contribution to the task force. So, Leslie, I know it's something that, that you were involved in, the, but the Be Your Best Self training programme, which, you know, we, we've seen already make a huge difference to to women who, you know, who, who were involved in agriculture, but who were looking to formalise their skills or to develop further confidence and go on to, to take on more active roles, either in the family farm or in other organisations, you know, we're, we're seeing tangible benefits from that. So that's one of the key key outputs that I say that myself and the task force are, are you know, are, are rightly proud of. Thanks, Leslie. And as you mentioned there about you having done some of the Be Your Best Self training, I know you've been involved. There's, there's the Women in Agriculture Scotland group as well. You've been involved in some of their events. What, what kind of things are they doing that, that you've enjoyed? Uh, the the Be Your Best Self course was a, a fantastic. It was a, a group that got together. It was it was a cohort that went through the training, and they were all ages from all areas of Scotland and uh, all different skills, and um, taught soft skills, hard um, you know training, actual physical farm work, bookkeeping uh, about yourself, how to be the best that you can be, what's stopping you, and where to get the the, the experience, the knowledge, that just the contacts to take you to where you are. I've also involved with the Women in Agriculture Scotland group. They have um, regular events. They have meetings, um, conferences in Ingolston that attend with uh, speakers that are inspirational and very good at boosting confidence. But also we're getting away from that to actually getting farm skills, farm businesses, not just record keeping, but the actual farming day to day. So it's good that it's progressing from it was to begin with. It was tended to be you know, the skills and bookkeeping, you know, that's what but we're now moving into actually, you are actually farming. So what, what skills do you need for that? And giving the, the, these women confidence to take from, from you know, there's people my age, just young ladies that come along there, the difference, confidence and uh, just experience, just chatting to them and just makes you feel that you do belong in the room rather than just be invited along, you actually belong to be there. It's, it's, it's amazing. That's really interesting talking about that confidence and that personal development as well. I remember one of my um, experiences, I think Women in Agriculture Group are, are a great group and I was invited to speak at one of their early events at Ingolston and I can remember walking into the room and there was maybe five or six men there and the rest was women and I was telling my colleague uh, Emma Patterson-Taylor afterwards, I said it was really intimidating walking into a room when there's only five men and so many women and she just said, welcome to my world, this is what it's like for me exactly. every week and it was quite a a kind of dawning on me um, that, that that was the situation and that can be intimidating because I'd never thought about that. So, so with that in mind, what are your experiences as a woman working in rural Scotland? How have you found that developing your careers as you go? We'll come to you first, Nick. Yes, I think that recently of late it's been so encouraging to see so many women working within the industry and excelling within the industry. I think from stock women to CEOs, it's been inspiring, I think, to see female-led rural businesses and a proficient female workforce um, in my vast travels across Scotland within my role. And I've been seeing on so many, um, not only you know women-owned farms, but also women-led farms, if they're the head stock women, that's fantastic that's it's so great to see and to see our members contributing to that or being part of that is really encouraging I think personally it's really gratifying to work within a role where I have such a diverse membership and encompassing some incredible women and in the past I think everyone or I personally have felt the perception of being a woman within a currently male-dominated industry and a male-dominated sector and the implications of that However, I think as more and more women are becoming part of that skilled workforce we have, it has been a breath of fresh air. And there, there are certain roles within certain industries where there are still stigmas attached. Um, and I think that will be the case for a while. It'll just take a time to change that ethos and move that forward. Just keep chipping away at it and making sure that we are getting the skills, getting prepared, getting confident and getting in there um, and proving that, you know, we are we're just as capable. Um, I think sometimes it's your personalities are different too women are are, have better strengths different strengths than men they're better at certain things and men are better at certain things I think having that all encompassing from both sides really gives you the best overview about your business um from anything from animal care right through to accounting you know it's really important to 
take into the, the personal aspects of that as well about the people as well as their gender. Thanks, and some really great points there. I think it's you know as an industry, you could argue we need all the help we can get, so we have to be inclusive. And the more um, skills we can bring around the table there as well. I think as SG mentioned earlier on, this is very much a cultural issue rather than anything legislative. It's just getting habits changed and, and allowing people to, to thrive as, as we know they can. And Le- Leslie, does that chime with your experience? Have you seen anything different? Or? Yes, it does really. Um, I've worked alongside my husband um, for, for many years and we complement each other. As Nick was saying, we've got different skills, but we're, we're both, you know, it's work away together, no problem. I, I did a lot on the farm. To be honest, it was when I went off the farm that I noticed that there was a difference. I remember going many years ago to a stand at the Highland Show with my young sons. I'm told to come back with my husband and you'll get a seat and a cup of tea. Now, that was a long time ago, but it stuck with me. I've also taken control of the finances for, for a number of years and still, it would still be my husband that they spoke to, that they looked to. But uh, they, they soon learned, but it was, it was just that barrier every time we went to discuss anything. They initially looked at my husband or spoke to my husband and it was just, but it's not all bad and things are changing. Things are definitely improving. It, it's been quite a slow change, but they're definitely improving. I think with the more people, more women that are actually working in agriculture day to day and young generation coming in, they're not accepting it like like we did. I, I worked on the farm. It was when I went off that I noticed a difference. Didn't think anything about it on the farm, but when I'm off it, and I've been at meetings that have been the only female in the room but that's changing now and that's definitely for the better so it's gratifying to hear that it is changing but there's still a lot to do and we'll come on to that in a minute and sg you've obviously operated at a very high level as well and and throughout a range of audiences and and, and groups how, how um how have your experiences been have you had the same experience does it does it change as you go higher does it get better does it get worse how do you see that it's a really interesting one because professionally, I would say my experience is different to my experience personally. So, it, you know, I'll be honest, I still struggle to get my father-in-law to listen to, to, to my opinion. I think there's some of the older borders farmers. I remember somebody saying to me a few years ago that I was quite clever for a girl. I think I was 40 with three children at that point. But, it, you know, so it, there's there's the people you come across in your personal life in farming but professionally, I'll be honest, it was never an issue that I had experienced. I was often the only woman in a room. I was never treated with anything other than with respect. I was never made to feel that my view was any more valid than uh, than theirs. But as you say, you know that was at a, a fairly senior level, so you were there on your own. You were there on your own merit. But there was never a kind of, you know, why aren't there more women in the room conversation happening? So it, it was an interesting one that, that certainly, you know, me as an individual was being, you know, was being included, was being treated, you know, treated as, as, as part of that kind of senior uh, discussion. But no one seemed to think there was anything strange that, you know, that, that I was the, the, the only woman in the room. The other weird thing that happens, and it's a, it's a strange one, is that I often I'd get invited along to events and the men, you know, you know my contemporaries would be invited with their wives. And I'd just be there myself. So my husband never got invited. He now does because uh, he, he was felt he was missing out on far too many good good dinners. But again, you know, that just that different treatment that you know that you were that they were you were seen as, as somehow a little bit different. But the, I know I know it's a massive change. You know, you walk in the room just in the last five years, you know, you walk in the room now, the the um the, the gender balance is different, the age profile is different. I, I'll be honest, I think Scottish Land and Estates membership had changed far quicker than some of the membership profiles of some other organisations. So we were already seeing that change happening when I, you know, when I joined the, the Women in Ag Task Force. And I think that was one of the things that we were able to kind of talk about, you know, how had SLE, which could have been viewed by some as a kind of very, very traditional organisation, how had they become more inclusive in terms of their, their board members, their, you know, their women senior uh, senior staff members and others what had we done that maybe others hadn't so that was something I was I was quite keen keen to share with other task force members. Thanks and we will come back on to that later because I want to hear about what has been done proactively to, to do that just one quick one though I mean is this an agriculture issue or is this a business issue or is it a societal issue I mean I'm conscious when I go to meetings and we 
various things, biodiversity, climate change, housing, they're relatively mixed and spread. Is this an agriculture issue or is it a rural issue? Where is, or, or is it just, is what it is? I think so it's definitely a farming issue and I think the research showed that you know when you look at the research that came out I think some people did find it really difficult reading because it was quite clear that people felt excluded and some of the stories that were told some of the the the, the um that you know the research findings were, were were hard to take but it does happen in other male you know traditionally male sectors so you know Nick's mentioned construction that was an area that I've also got some experience in. You, you see it in some others, you know, in engineering. But they had all, you know, when you look at the kind of work that had happened on STEM and construction to bring women into those those areas, you hadn't had the same on farming at that stage. It was it was just kind of left to to kind of sort itself out. So I think the lack of formality that was there um, in farming probably meant it was further behind engineering and and um, and tech and construction. Yeah, it's interesting there's different industries and as you say, Nick, you've got different experience. I know Mary McLeod, who's our um, Highland Regional Chair, works in construction. I know that she's talked about that, but the barriers are kind of starting to come down and she's kicking down the ones that aren't down yet. Uh, Nick, what's your experience in those industries? Do you think it's different? Definitely. I think it is a cultural thing within farming. It's that kind of mindset and you are a little bit removed out from that you know society where things are progressing changing more quickly because they're open to a wider array of people farming is one of those things that if you're not born into it it's it's you're you fall into it or you have to really try to get into it it's not something that you can easily you know be part of and I think that the dedication to that really shows people are willing to go that extra mile to be involved in farming however it is that that mindset and I think it's a generational thing and I'm, I'm hoping that as as younger generations come through and succession continues as it is that that will shift that will change because I have I have experienced within many I've worked in basically every every industry I've worked in has been a, a male dominated industry and um, construction property landscaping vet med but less so the, the latter however it really is um, a continual thing and I think as SJ was saying at, at the different levels it is different as a practice manager for a large clinic you are treated slightly differently because you are like SJ said you are there on your merit that you've got something to back you up whereas when you're you know born into a farm people take it for granted that you just you know are part of the part of the, the wallpaper so it's it's one of those things that it will just take time and we're just gonna do our best but yes yeah, definitely Mary Mary is kicking those barriers down it's great to see and great to see her bringing up younger generations of skilled women into this workforce where it's really needed. I think Stephen I think the other thing that that maybe differentiates farming from other sectors is is the hours and the commitment that are required for you know for you to, to be active on, on a farm and and the lack of childcare. And you know that childcare has to fall somewhere if you're if you're a farming family. So sometimes it's very very difficult for that not to be the the woman. So they'll either step back from their career or they'll take part time work off the farm to try and and balance everything. So you know that if you were in another industry and you had a kind of more nine to five job, it's much much easier. And certainly those of us who are involved in agriculture but not hands on on the farm, I think we're probably able to kind of progress quicker than those who were who were active farming and um, you know many women I know who you know who took over the family farm or married into the family farm had to take a career break it was the only option to them because the the you know balancing the demands of a family farming business and childcare and any kind of off-farm career just wasn't possible. Okay, now there's some uh, interesting experiences there as well. So just trying to keep looking forward, because we, we accept there's there's an issue in it. We have made some strides, but there's a long way to go yet. So so what more is still to be done to support women in action? What more can we do? And, and what will success look like? And Le- Leslie, can I come to you on that? Yes, if I just take the second part of that question first and just say that for me, success would be that women in agriculture organisations are no longer required and gender is not even a consideration. 
that's my goal. I have granddaughters and I don't want them to have to go to anything that is specifically gender. Farming can feel like the world's against you. So I think we all need to work together. We need to work together to complement each other. We've got a wide range of skills, a wide range of knowledge, and working together is going to be the, the main thing there. The, the women in agriculture, the training that's available is excellent. And it is bringing up skills for these women and giving them confidence to take forward businesses and confidence to take part, a range of skills. And to be your best self, as I've mentioned before, it's a tremendous example of, of supporting and empowering women and to be able to come into the, the agricultural workforce. Esri, what more do you think can be done? I, I mean, I agree with Leslie. I think, you know, one of the, one of the major successes is, is a lack of need for women-only events or, you know, or women in agriculture support groups because um, they will be so integrated within within the industry. I think the other thing is that those people who are... Um, involved in agriculture that'll be sort of replicated in the the farming organizations so again you know we're, we're already seeing it whether whether that's at qms or or nfu south of the border with Monet and, and kate and sarah and and you know myself and others that it's the norm you know when i was appointed at sle it said i was the first female chief exec in its 110 year history that to be honest with you i, I don't want that to be part of people's press releases and CVs so you know when we have the you know when we have a future president of the um of of NFUS and and that is a woman it shouldn't it shouldn't be part of the press release that she's a woman so I I think you know just making it quite norm normalizing women in agriculture I think is is what we all want to, to to do and and also you know making sure that everyone whether they're young old male female has the skills to allow them to fulfil their their full potential within the farming sector, and certainly when you looked at the training, there was a need for for focused training for women because they were being left behind. So so getting to that stage where everyone has access to training and you know knowledge transfer and, and support is something that I think would be viewed as a big success. Yeah, I think it's that that normalising is is quite a good word for it, and, and that harks yeah. back to yeah. what uh, Leslie was saying there when it's yeah. not special we don't need a special group yeah and that was the other thing um you know so i'd like to never hear again farming families being asked if they're disappointed when they've had another daughter um i think for me that would be one of the biggest measures of success in scottish farming yeah i I don't know how you react when someone says that i I, I think it's it's terrible (laughs) and it's you know it's it's something that we you know i've heard said to friends still said today and you know, for, for that to be seen as acceptable in the in this day and age is just nonsense. It's becoming rarer and rarer, thankfully. But 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 certainly, you know, getting rid of that issue would, would be a, a big big success for me. Yeah, it, it's something that I've never personally been aware of or any of my friends have, have talked about. I have heard about it and as I said, I don't know how you would react. I, I was just scribbling down as we we're talking about that about success. I mean, we're seeing more uh, women in leadership roles in Scottish agriculture. There's been quite a, a shift in the past few years. I've just scribbled down, you know, Sarah Miller at QMS, SJ at SLE, Carol McLaren following on from Nina Clancy at RSABI, Anne-Marie MacDonald in leadership roles at Highland Grain and other places, Penny Montgomery at SEYFC. There are others as well so does that help Nick to have I don't want to use role models because they probably don't see themselves in that way but does that help to have see that change at high level definitely it's aspirational for for someone like me I think if you've if you're looking for if you're driven and and you're and you're looking to take any of those paths having those paths cut for you by people who have have struggled and strived to make those differences and I think growing up in that generation and and then moving forward as a young woman in agriculture, it's so inspiring. And I think it's almost as if I I personally, I think being a, being a great RSO for, for SLE, um, it's not based on gender. So I think I'm really, I have been so lucky and really kind of bowled over by how encouraging our members are that I'm a young woman in agriculture and they're taking me on my merit at this level, which is amazing. They're really forward thinking um, and interested because we do bring something different to the table and it's really being taken at this point. So I, I'm super pleased to be part of anything, an industry that's really 
kind of bringing that up and breaking those barriers down. Yeah, that, that, that's really good to hear because obviously you're, you're relatively new in your role at SLE and it's good to hear that that's the experience that you've had from members and, and people across rural Scotland. So things are changing a bit and, and they're maybe just a bit selfish. They maybe just realise you're very good and therefore they're, they don't, they're not bothered <laughs> who you are, where you're from, that just that you're good at what you do. Oh, I think that's really important. That's that's what we're we're getting at, right? It is it's about yourself, it's about your personality, it's about your skill set, it's about all of these things and what you bring to the role. It's not about whether you're a woman or a man, um, and whether you're, you know, twenty or, or fifty. It's it's looking at the person itself. And I think recently I was asked a question about recruitment. They were asking, you know, what, what to look for in recruiting for the first time. And I said, look for personality, look for for skills. Things can be taught, but you can't change a person within their entirety. So whether it's a man or a woman, don't have any perception of what you're looking for. You're not looking for someone young. You're not looking for someone old. You're looking for a specific person for a role. And it's there's so many things to qualify. But if you're looking at 10 people who are qualified, those things should not even come into consideration. So it's great to see that they're not now. And an SLE is great. It's, it's got loads of women and you've got SJ at, at the helm, so which is fantastic. But it's there's so many women coming through. But we're not viewed as women within SLE. We're not viewed as women within this industry. We're viewed as equals. Everybody is is the same and it's great to see that. It's great to be part of that. No, that is, that is great there. Just um looking at your experience, you've obviously worked in Canada and, and lived in Canada. How do you think things are different there? Are they better? Are they, how how does that compare with what you've seen in Scotland? So Canada has its similarities to Scotland, challenging weather conditions for a start, um, and then availability, seasonal workforce and, and limited buyers, the same things that we have here, but it's very different. I think agricultural land in Canada is more than four times the amount it is in the UK. However, that percentage of land within Canada is very, very small. It's about 7% compared to our 80% in Scotland. And the population is obviously very much more sparse as well, making product distribution a huge focus for them. It is similar in a way. So as well as here, there has been a constant rise in the number of women working within agriculture in Canada. However, the number of female owner operator roles has risen, rose last year, sorry, in 2021 for the first time in 30 years, um, which is quite a, a good to see, but a worrying statistic, I think. The Canadian government do seem to be making this more of a priority now to, to bring more women into those roles in agriculture. However, I think they're just behind the Scottish government in making that happen. So I'm hoping that things will start to come up more. Working in veterinary medicine, I worked with six of, of the most fantastic um, MDs. They're fantastic. Couldn't recommend them enough. And five of the six were women, which was amazing. And like I said, it they were there on merit. They were there because they were great at what they do. A wide array of interests, a wide array of knowledge, and being able to bring that forward to within you know all of these industries as well. I've worked every every role I've worked in within every male dominated industry. There's been incredibly talented women working in the background, and it's just about bringing them to the forefront. So I think the the NS uh, sorry NSAC, which is the Nova Scotia Agricultural College. They have let us know that uh, as of 2018, the majority of women training with them, the, the classes are majority women, which is fantastic. So there's definitely opportunities coming in Canada. It's just about having that skill and having that diverse workforce throughout. And I think they, as same as the, the Women in Agriculture Task Force or the Women in Agriculture Scotland, they have the influential women in Canadian agriculture. So they are looking also at supporting, educating, training, bringing women through and making sure that they have all the strongholds to be moving forward and upwards within these industries. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what the stats would be in Scotland for agricultural courses. It'd be an interesting question to ask SRUC um, yeah. later this week and see. But certainly in, in, in veterinary, it does appear to be more and more female vets who are doing the job more than capably. That, that, it's interesting to get that perspective. Leslie, you're just back from an international conference on this topic. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What did you learn? You know, What was your findings from that? Yes, I, I had a fantastic time at the Women in Food and Agricultural Summit in Frankfurt and spoke to many ladies from all over the world. I was fortunate to be selected for a place sponsored by the Royal Highland Agricultural Society for Scotland 
and travelled with five ladies from all over Scotland. Not only gave me excellent travelling companions, but the confidence to get the most from the, from the conference. Particularly interested to meet other women who farm day to day, and there were some truly inspirational people at the event. Topics ranged from food waste and insecurity, responding to consumer demand, and inclusive leadership. There were breakout sessions, and I chose the regenerative agriculture, because that's something that I'm passionate about, and I wanted to hear more about that across the world, and it was very, very interesting. The buzz in the room was a joy, and everybody was chatting, and not just about their businesses, but about their selves and their lives, how they've got to where they are now, and what support they had, or what barriers they had to overcome. Women need to stop feeling grateful to be included and make sure that their voice is heard. If their voice is not being heard or respected, we need to move on from that person, that company, that, that experience, and to move on, leave it behind us and go to somewhere where it is heard and respected. It was a wonderful experience for me, and it's something that I would, I'm happy to speak to everybody, lots of people about that, and to, to, to build on that in the future. Thanks, Lizzie. Just to pick up a thread you mentioned there, regenerative agriculture is something your business is obviously focusing on now. That's a, a relatively new movement phenomenon in Scottish agriculture. But if we're talking about this being cultural and potentially um, generational, is there a different feel in that network than there is in your more mainstream agriculture network, or is it similar, would you say? I think it's more so in, in the regenerative and the, the we're now organic as well, as I say. And these, I, I feel it's more, um, there's more of an influence from women within that. And it's, it's, it's younger generation as well. It's a fairly new, it's not a new way of farming. It's farming how it used to be done. It's, but it's, it's come around in a cycle. So it's, it's new people that are doing it, if you understand. So. Yeah, that is interesting. That kind of, refresh of, of mindset and things and maybe just that that change there sg when you were working with the task force and um, did, did you look abroad at other models was there other things you looked at or learning from other countries is there anything you think you could pick up on so the researchers who were involved definitely looked at international experiences and one of the researchers who was involved actually was from canada so she was able to to kind of bring her own experience and since then, there's been sort of other work carried out, as as Leslie sort of said, you know, sort of seeing what's happening in 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 Europe, what's happening um, elsewhere. We also engaged with um, Lindy Nelson from New Zealand, so lots lots of international comparators to to see what we could bring to the Scottish situation. And it did show us that you know Scotland wasn't an outlier. You know, women were facing similar problems in 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 other areas. But if you take somewhere like Spain. A lot of the women there are really involved in their agritourism aspect of the the, the farm. So you know they've they've grown their role um, in terms of diversification. So again, that was something that was looked at in, in terms of potential training and support for for people in Scotland. So yeah, it, yeah, it wasn't just a a, a, um, a research into what was happening in Scotland. We we definitely looked elsewhere to see what we could glean from good practice from across the world. Yeah, it's always, uh, I always prefer to steal other people's good ideas. It's quicker than having your own sometimes. So, Absolutely. Um, the task force were very happy to, to, to do that on several occasions. I, I did see a tweet the other day, and I can't find it now, and it was about the Progressive Farmers Conference in Ireland, um, which is normally a fantastic conference. I think they're a two-day programme, and someone was pointing out that two of the 30 speakers were female. And how could that. this possibly be progressive? I might have the numbers wrong there. It maybe wasn't two and thirty, but it was. It was so ridiculously out of sync. At least two and twenty. If it wasn't two and thirty, I saw the I saw the same tweet, Stephen. And I think, I I think again because when you look at the audience that goes to that conference, it's it's much much more balanced in terms of gender than the you know the the speakers would have you, um or or would suggest. So yeah, that was an an unfortunate one. And I think you know if you look at what's happened in this country. If you look at the people involved in things like the Oxford Farming Conference, some great work done there. You know that's been you know led led by um, some very high profile women within the sector as well. So they were kind of leading the way, and I think that's one thing that was quite hard as a task force. I think there were some people who were sort of saying like, why do we need these recommendations? Look at all these good things that are happening. 
and that that was definitely true. There were some fantastic steps made. There was lots of high-profile women who um, and lots of fantastic family farming businesses led by women, but there's still this cohort who felt left behind, and and you know that couldn't be you know that couldn't be denied that it was there in the research. So just because there was some good stuff happening doesn't mean that we you know we we should have ignored the the, the barriers that still existed. I, I think that's a really good point about Oxford Farming Conference. I mean, that that had a reputation and a an image of being extremely traditional. And 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 let, let's be honest. So did SLE. We we had that as being really traditional. And, and if Oxford and SLE can start to make changes, then then that is that is hugely gratifying in that respect. So just sticking with you on that issue, what can organisations if they if they want to be more inclusive and they don't want to make these mistakes? That make them look frankly stupid by having so few, so little diversity on the panels. What can they do to, to really drive involvement and more greater inclusive, inclusivity? There's some really basic stuff that people can do, um, especially those who are looking for volunteers and look people to sit on committees um, or to, to stand as office bearers. And that's even kind of looking at when they hold the meetings, where they hold the meetings. The, I think the, the shift to online is a game changer. But, you know, too often these meetings would either be held at school runtime or they'd be held just after dinner when somebody had to, you know, if you've got a family, um, family, somebody had to stay at home and put the kids to bed. So it meant that one of the one of the parents was going to miss out. And sadly, in a lot of cases, that that was that was the mother. So, you know, the, the timing of these meetings, how people access them, it, it, you know, it's, it's some organisations will say we're open to everybody. You know, so we welcome applications for, for everybody. But if you're saying that and you're still not seeing young people or women coming through, then you do have to take steps. There's a need for systemic change within your organisation. It's not enough to, to be passive. You have to then start saying, no, why aren't they? Is it because, as you know, Leslie talked about it, they don't feel comfortable coming into the room? Or is it is it because the timing or the location of the meetings or... Is it because of 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 you know a hang up from past culture? So I so I I do think that um organisations have to be active. One of the recommendations that the task force came up with was about this equalities charter, and there's a lot of pushback from some within the industry who felt it was it was too much. You know this wasn't about uh you must have fifty percent of um you know of your your local committee must be women. That's not what we're saying. But it was about equality of access. And that does, as I say, needs more intervention than just sort of saying, yeah, this is how we do things and it's open to everybody. Because how you do things might unconsciously be restricting access from a certain group, whether it's young people or, or women. So so you know, so as I say, organizations have to be have to be active. And you look at some of the successful ones, Crotters Federation is a great one you you know that's that's always been really really balanced and quite a lot of what what they do is about the timing and where they do it and how they do things and and that's meant that it's it really has been one which has been open open to all that's a really good point about that not being about quotas um and it's about just what is best for the situation making sure people feel empowered yeah, and um, when i was Sorry, I was going to say we went round and round on quotas. I think it's probably the thing that we discussed most. And there were some people on the on the task force who were very pro quota. And indeed, I have to say, the Scottish government um, were were kind of pushing for us to to be really quite strong quota. But many of us, including the the women on on the task force, felt that again that that was sending the wrong message. We felt that if you you know if you if you change the system, then then the proportion that you end up with will be much, much more balanced. But if you went down the quota line, then I actually thought we were going to create problems for women because they wouldn't, they'd be made to feel as though they were only there because they were a woman, not because they'd, you know, they'd, they'd come through the, the same route as, as others. It's quite an interesting point to that, but I can understand the frustration to say, look, if this isn't going to happen organically, we're going to have to just um, push that through. Um, one of the things I was going to talk about was when I was at uh, SAOS, we did quite a lot of work. We were advising uh, boards of agricultural organisations, and we did quite a lot of work on the, the benefits of diversity of thought in the boardroom. And rather than saying that you must have women there, women there or different backgrounds, it was saying, this is what the benefit to you will be. And we, we eventually ran training courses for people who wouldn't maybe normally apply to be a director, just on what the role of a director is, and try and 
open up some of that mystique on that. So try and create that that pool from the boards themselves. Have you seen that benefit, SJ? Yeah, absolutely. So as, as part of the Women in Ag, we got involved with changing the climate and, and encouraging boards to kind of go through that unconscious bias training which isn't just as you see isn't just about gender it's about making sure you've not just got a bunch of people who agree with each other and who all think the same way because that doesn't lead to to good governance and and progressive organizations so so challenging that at a board level within an organization is something that the um the task force recommended and there was a pilot done uh, with a number of organizations in the last year and I think I'm right in saying we're still kind of waiting to see the the outcome of, of that pilot report. So it was, you know, that's at the start, a year on, where are things? Has there has there been change? And there definitely had been, you know, we SLE was at a good starting point, but there'd been a, the, you know, we'd had an improvement as as well in terms of board and regional chairs. It'd be interesting to see how that was reflected in, in other organizations who were involved in that um research work. Yeah, that would be interesting. I have to say um, that uh, unconscious bias training is is a horrible experience because you realise just how biased we all are in, in a number of ways and the kind of preconceptions that we have. And Leslie, in your experience of being involved in, in boards and committees and things, have you found that an easy step to make? Was that quite difficult? Or, or how have organisations encouraged you to get involved? They have The, the biggest um, barrier was myself, to be honest, to begin with. That was a confidence thing and it was as I say, belonging in the room rather than just being just being there. Um, so that was my mindset, but I've, I've always been welcomed. Um, some of the criteria, sometimes I didn't always meet it because I was female and I couldn't always go at the times that I was able, that they were looking for. But um, no, it's been fairly positive for me once I got my head around that, yes, you are good enough and you can go for that. It's funny you mention that. There's a piece of research, um, and I'm sure this isn't just an urban myth. I think it, it you know, that it does have scientific fact that when women look at a list of criteria, say there's ten, if we do six out of ten, we say we can't, we can't positively, you know, we can't go for that. Whereas, a, whereas a many men view that as well. At least I've got six, six out of ten. I'll go for it. And it's a really strange. Uh, Nick, have you heard about that as well? I mean, it's it's a really strange way of looking at. It. So, you know, as a woman, you you'd need to have nine. You'd be thinking, I have to have at least nine, if not ten. But men are quite happy with six. I have heard this actually, and I am probably the exception to the rule. If I can do four, I can learn the rest. Um, I'm sure Tony will attest to me saying. <laughs> I think it, it's. It, I think as I've been really lucky. I, I've I think grown up. Um, in a specific setting um, with my mum, she's a very strong woman. My grandmother, a very strong woman. She was a milk recorder back in the day, worked on the farm, took a, a really, you know, forward leading role. And I think it's just given me a, a confidence boost. I'm sure that Tony will attest um, and you guys probably from working with me that I don't really hold back. I think it's just it, backing yourself is so important. And I think yeah. know what you're, what you're ready for, know what, what you're going for and I think, that's where we can make the biggest changes yeah. is that I think for me personally, I'm, I think I'm in a, in a kind of niche as well because I have quite an androgynous name. So it could go either way. Um, and I think a lot of people don't know they're expecting a man or they're expecting a woman and they, and they get what they're expecting or, or they don't. So I think I'm in a, a kind of niche there where when I'm applying for things, I'm, I'm really looking at, can I do this job? Will it suit my personality? Will it suit my skill set? And can I gain that experience and knowledge to fit into that role and then at that point I think being viewed I think it's about employers people really looking at you know don't, don't look at the date of birth don't look at you know your name your gender your race any of these things that shouldn't come into consideration you should be looking at the person themselves and I think that it's, it's so interesting to read that I did read that but yeah. I I can say I don't fit into to that box but so many do and it's about empowering women to just shatter that and go for it you know yeah. you're, you're just gonna get in there and make it happen yeah I I don't either you know so I don't fit into that but thinking back you know I you know I'm, I'm a confident person I've always been quite confident as Stephen will attest you know basically if I don't know how to do it I'll wing it until I do I've done that since an early age but not everyone is like that and you know and there are other men and men and women who who need our support and I think one of the things that um, hit home to me really early on uh, with the, the, the UK wide women in, in farming 
was that kind of message that, you know, once you're in a position where you can help and influence, for goodness sake, help and empower other people, not just other women, but people who want to, you know, succeed and grow either personally or professionally. And that's why, you know, I've, I, you know, I always try to find time to support things like the Scottish Enterprise Rural Leader Programme or, you know, the Women in Ag Task Force, because if someone can take away some confidence to improve their career prospects, make their own business more effective, or just feel happier and more confident in themselves, then then that's a you know a really, really useful way of, of me spending my time, I think. Yeah, I think that helping others is, is, is a big part of everyone in the industry, just making sure everyone's got the support they need. Leslie, you want to come in on that as well? Just really to say that I'd heard the statistics as well, and the job I have at the moment is because I heard that statistic and thought, I'm just going to go for it. So well that's done. one of the takeaways. Yeah. I, th- I think that's probably one of the, the best bits of advice is probably just go for it. Les, I just wanted to dig in, and this is probably quite a personal question, so you can ignore me if you want. Um, when you were talking about having the confidence to go for things and that just go for it mindset, was that something you developed over time or was there a light bulb in your mind you just said, right, I'm doing it? Is it was that a light bulb or, or how did that come about? Um, a, a bit of both, really, I think, Stephen. But uh, as I say, that, that statistic there that men would go for it and women would have to have all the skills that they felt, that was a light bulb moment for me. Confidence, the more I went to things, the more um, my confidence grew and people started to listen to what I was saying. I went to a lot of, um, it was SEC at the time, um, beef groups, etc. you know, for the businesses and enterprises that we had on the farm, we hosted them on the farm. And that's when people realised and along with the monitor farm, that I was actually part of this farm. I wasn't, I was Robert's wife, I was Stuart's mother, but I also farmed in my own right. And that was, that's, it's been a, a build up over time for myself, but uh, been a few light bulb moments that's helped me along the way. Yeah, no, that's great to hear how that developed. I think there's a... Sorry, Stephen, I was going to say, Leslie, I remember the first time I, I met you is when, when, you know, you and Robert invited me along to speak at an agricultural association, a society. And, and I thought it was really quite clear that you were partners. And I thought that came across really well, not just to me, but to, to others in the, in the room. Um, and it's been great to, to you know, to, to see you take on a, a wider external role and, and get involved and, and share your um, knowledge and, and experience and, and, and passion. Uh, it's 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 great to see it's something I'm very passionate about it's giving back agriculture's been good to me and I would like to give back something to, to not just women in agriculture but new entrants to um, women coming forward to you know just to my experience you know whether it's that is the experience that you want to have or that's the experience you don't want to have to, to give something back to chat to people so it's something I'm passionate about but sharing any experience is a positive thing as you say even if it is this is this was a negative one for me but this is how you avoid it or how you can you know work your way around that thing i just want we've had a really good chat there a lot of the things that people can do and and, and positivity i'm conscious it is highland show week um and we have talked about that previously um it's highland show week for the first time for what feels like many many years we've obviously missed too what what are you looking forward to at the Highland Show or what have you missed? I'll come to you first, Nick. Well, this is my first Highland Show in six years because I was vacationing in Canada for for a lot of that, spending my time out there. So uh, local projects for me, um, it's really super fresh, tasty, and just it really represents Scotland and what we have to offer. Um, And the camaraderie, of course, you know, got to have all those local farmers gathering and the fact that it's been so long, I'm expecting it to be good and busy. (laughs) Yeah, I think it will be social. I hope it's sociable. Leslie? Just getting to meet up with people that I've not seen for quite a while, just the social aspect of it and just the the stock work, going to see the stock. This will be the first year that I'll be working on the Quality Meat Scotland stand. So it'll be from a different dynamic. So I'm looking forward to a lot of people coming in and to chatting to them from that point of view. And just going in and enjoying the show, family day. Yeah, you'll have a busy stand. You have a lot of school children coming on and cookery demonstrations. Is it the same? Is it going to be the same again this year? It is, yes. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on, but the busier the better, I think. So it's, uh, yeah, that's good. Um, I think the chance to just celebrate rural success. I mean, I think that's one thing, you know, you, you walk around the, the show and it's a, a chance to 
show everything that's good about Scottish agriculture and the rural sector. I'm also looking forward to food. It's always a highlight of the, the, the Highland Show, whether that's the Women in Ag breakfast or the free samples from QMS as we walk past on the way to the Scottish Land and Estates stand. You know, I, again, I think that, that, that Scottish produce really does bring us together. That, that two things and seeing seeing members, you know, seeing members and others involved in the industry. There's people who I'll have seen every single week on Zoom, you know, friends and colleagues in Scottish Government and others. And this will be the first time I've probably seen them in person since uh, pre-pandemic. So I think a few of us might be a little bit giddy and then and excitable when we're kind of, you know, rushing about the, the showground on, on Thursday and Friday just seeing each other in, in person for the, the first time uh, in a few years. So, yeah, pe- people people and food. There you go. That's what I'm looking forward to at the Highland Show. I, th- I think it'll be one of those things we've, we've talked about a few times. You know, people um, on Zoom who you've, you've got to know quite well, you forget how tall they are or short. And, and, and some people you envisage as being, you know, big, tall people aren't very tall and, and others um, are, are the other way around. So it's that kind of personalising and getting to see the whole person for a change. <laughs> Um, but uh, so it's, it's good to, to see that and get that full picture. Um, j- just on a wider Scottish echo, I just wanted to finish up your, your view. We've talked about, you know, as I say, some challenges, some opportunities for, for women in agriculture and growing that diversity. How do you feel about Scottish agriculture as a whole for the future? Are you positive about it? Are we, you know, we're going through huge changes at the moment. There's volatility. Everyone knows about all of that. How do you feel about it? Is this, is this a time of, of positivity or should we be really concerned about it? Leslie, I'll come to you for that one. I have to say I'm very positive about the future of Scottish agriculture. There's a lot of opportunities going to be out there. There's opportunities at the moment if you look for them. And being positive about the farm, being positive about agriculture, and it, it helps me day to day. Um, the farm, it, we strive every day for a good work-life balance. There's not any medals, really, for being the person that works the longest hours, is the hardest working. And I think that getting a good life balance and doing something you enjoy is going to help going forward. There's a lot of uncertainty. Scottish government policy clarification is needed to plan. But we've been trying to um, have a low input system to try and get our business ready should subsidies reduce greatly or disappear. So we're very positive about the future, but it's not without its uncertainties. And there will be bumpy road, but I think long term it's it's going to be very positive. Yeah, I think it's good to take that long-term view and, and kind of think about the longer-term rather than the short-term challenges. Nick, how are you feeling about it? I've got a feeling, having heard everything you said, you're going to be positive because you're positive about everything. So. Yes, I think that's a good, uh, a very common common uh, feedback I get from positive and passionate, which are to my two uh, trademarks I think um, well obviously there, there are a number of unknown factors challenges and, and massive changes afoot across all landowning industries but I am infinitely positive I think with this I think with as we were talking about earlier maybe the changes coming up from climate and all the different aspects as well are, are regenerating um, the generations underneath people coming up succession all these changes afoot are going to help bring everybody up, hopefully, and that's going to continue to happen. I have no doubt that women will continue to grow and adapt as we do and bring a multitude of skills professionally and personally and ensure, hopefully, the growth of agriculture, the industry itself, and help it thrive for existing and future generations. Thank you for that. Esther, I'll give you the final word. It's not often you let me have the final word, Stephen. I am positive, though, as Nick said, this is a massive period of change, which means that the end result won't be positive for everyone. And I think that is something that, as a sector, we do have to accept. And we have to think about how we support those people who may decide to exit the sector or who may face huge changes in terms of their their, their business model. I do think it's a time for thinking differently. So from a from a kind of diversity point of view, again, really positive because there's new voices linked or mixed with the, the kind of more experienced voices who, who might come up with a long-term future for, for Scottish land use and Scottish farming that will deliver everything that we want to see our land deliver, you know, food, drink produ- uh, production, fuel, fibre, climate change, all the things that our land's been asked to, to deliver. 
I, I you know I think it's it's an exciting time, but for some it is going to be challenging, and some people will have to ask themselves some pretty uncomfortable questions, and I think that's that's going to be that's going to be quite tough over the next um, the next couple of years. It won't look exactly as it does now in sort of 10, 15, 15 years. That might mean that some farm holdings get bigger. It might mean that there's restructuring. And I think we have to kind of think through what, what that means for farming. But like Nick and, and Leslie, I'm positive, you know, about Scottish agriculture. I do think if, if you look at the, the outputs, the quality, not just of the food production, but the environmental benefits, the benefits to society, that Scottish agriculture and associated businesses provide, then how can you be anything other than proud and positive about Scottish farming? That's a full house of positive answers. And I think the theme through everything we've said today is that the Scottish agriculture still needs to change, improve, evolve, but there's opportunity there and, and obviously increased diversity of thought, diversity of leadership roles can only help with that. So some really powerful messages there. That That's our, our time. That's been an hour. It feels like it's gone past in about 10 minutes. So thank you for that. But thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you to the panel today, to, to Leslie, Nick and SJ for sharing your wealth of experience and knowledge. It's been really good to hear you on a range of topics and, and some really great bits of advice there for individuals and for organisations um, and on to how to, to move forward for the future. Um, if you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, and I hope you have, please subscribe to it because there's lots more there to listen to and please rate them. If we get lots of five-star ratings and other people will find us more easily. So please do that. There's also lots more information to come from SLE as a whole. Our land business magazine should be with members now with the theme of agriculture. So there's more information there. So thanks again for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have in uh, recording it. And uh, we'll hopefully be back to talk to you again soon.